The night of the uprising, Jim and Georgia were already on a train heading north, hundreds of miles away from their parents. They sat in a musty, graffiti-covered boxcar, their feet dangling above the tracks that rushed into darkness below them. It was a warm night, and only the sounds of humming insects could be heard above the rattle of the train cars. Between them, nothing more than a suitcase. A young, weeping Georgia rested her head against Jim's shoulder and glared out into the darkness of the countryside. Do you think it's happening out there? Hard to tell. We're in the middle of nowhere still. It's gonna start in the cities. How much longer? Until the train stops. Then we'll be there? I... I don't know. You don't know where we're going? Somewhere north. We're gonna have to figure it out when we get there, okay? Okay. Jim looked down at his baby sister. Her hands trembled. You stick with me, you'll be alright. Okay? Georgia and Jim came from a military family. Their father and mother both served in Desert Storm at a young age and met on a base in the Middle East. It wasn't clear to Jim or Georgia exactly what they did for the military after that. Their positions in the military were classified to the point where there was never dinner discussions around what happened at work that day. All Georgia knew is that her father worked with coding and cryptology at a high level. It was where she developed a love for ciphers, a love that proved complementary to her natural talents. Her parents fostered those talents. Jim, on the other hand, wasn't born to be the intellectual his sister was, and he found himself focusing on athletics and other talents of physical prowess to compensate. Two days before the uprising is when everything changed for them. They had seen the news, and they had heard the rumors. Jim, being slightly older, had a better grasp of the gravity of the situation. But it was Georgia who had changed their lives forever. That night, unable to sleep, Georgia wandered into her father's office. He had left a document up on his computer screen. It was a simple word processing document filled with numbers and letters. It looked similar to code that Georgia had seen in an old World War II book and subsequently taught herself, and so she decided to try and crack it. When Georgia tiptoed into the bedroom she shared with Jim and woke him up with the message she had uncovered, he didn't say a word. He moved swiftly and silently to their closet and emerged with the suitcase. What does it mean, Jim? Jim found himself at a loss for words, but he tried. Those people on the news, the ones who attacked Los Angeles last year, they're... Look, we're in danger if we stay here. We have to tell Mom and Dad. We can't. We have to leave them here, okay? We may not be seeing them for a while, Georgia. But it's gonna be okay. It was too dark for Georgia to notice the tears that filled Jim's eyes, and his voice was steady and unwavering, so Georgia didn't ask any more questions. She followed him quietly out of the house. They walked silently for an hour before they got to the train yard. Jim hoisted Georgia up into an empty boxcar. The train rolled away from the loading platform and they watched the warm, twinkling lights of their hometown as they were snuffed out one by one on the horizon. It would soon dawn on Georgia that she wouldn't see her parents again. She would soon realize that the document she uncovered linked them to the new American uprising and the coup that was taking shape in the United States military. In the years to come, she would try not to blame herself, but it would be hard. She didn't blame Jim. He took her away from it all. He was protecting her. 
She often wondered what would be if she hadn't wandered into her father's office that night. Certainly they would be worse off. Or maybe it was a mistake. Maybe her parents were innocent and they left them there alone and childless two days before the uprising. She didn't like to think of it that way. She thought often about how quickly Jim decided to leave that night, how easily he processed what he had read in the message. It made her think that he had seen something in her parents over the years that she had not. Jim didn't bring it up much. There was no point. They were here now, on the train, barreling into darkness. Cove Creek Media presents Triumph Tales from the Second American Civil War Created, written, and narrated by Tom Jello Starring Isaac Robinson Smith as Ben Lainey Pejos as Georgia Tom Jello as Jim Rayon Rivera as Thomas Additional voices provided by Alexa Capiello and Alistair James Murden. The morning after the scouts are discovered, Ben sits in the dank basement and continues to observe the necklace he found in the snow, its long metallic chain snaking through his fingers. Surreal, it seemed that he had it here in his hands once again. No one had slept well that night, kept awake by the grief of losing Aaron and the possibility of more new American troops soon arriving upon their sanctuary. Across the room, the surviving new American soldier is tied to an old lawn chair. Thomas tends to his wounds, wrapping his extensive burns with cotton bandages so that his face is almost entirely obscured. Thomas speaks softly to the soldier. Just between us, you'd be better off talking. My friends are good people, but they've lost a lot of loved ones to your cause. The soldier lets out a small grunt, nothing more. And though he speaks no words, Thomas feels the guttural sound is riddled with desperation. For a moment, Thomas can see the soldier's mouth through the bandages. He grabs the soldier by the chin and he recoils in pain. <clears throat> Sorry, open your mouth. The soldier struggles, but manages to open his mouth enough for Thomas to look inside. My god. Across the room, Ben looks up from the necklace. What's the matter? Don't think we'll be getting much intel from this one. We'll get him to talk. Good luck. He doesn't have a tongue. He doesn't? From the grenade? Ben walks toward Thomas and peers into the soldier's mouth himself. Not likely. The scars in his mouth are healed. So you're saying... He lost his tongue a long time ago and... It looks almost surgical, like someone cut it out. Shit. Someone wanted this guy alive, but didn't want him to talk. Ben smirks and leans in closer to the captive. So, that's how they treat soldiers in your new America, huh? Ben dangles the necklace in front of the soldier's face, its pendant swaying like a hypnotist's charm. What about this? Where'd you get this? Another soldier? A general? <clears throat> the soldier only moans again. He's a lost cause. He can still write, can't he? Ben scurries toward a shelf and pushes a few cans of lighter fluid aside to reach a small paper map and a pencil. The map is yellowed and fringed, torn out of an old tourism brochure the group had found when they first discovered the basement they call home base. 
portrays the area surrounding the Pine Lake Estates for 500 square miles, including highways and natural features such as rivers and lakes. Ben lays the map on a small TV dinner tray and puts it on the soldier's lap. He cuts one of the captive's hands loose and forces a pencil into it. Mark it. Show me on this map where the man who gave you the necklace is. Where you came from. The soldier doesn't move. Ben, frustrated, grabs the soldier's burned and bandaged face in his hands and begins to squeeze. I said mark it! Ben releases his grip, and the soldier hunches over the map. With a quivering hand, he begins to scribble on its surface. Outside, Jim and Georgia sit on the roof of the two-story red brick house. The upper floors of the house are rarely traversed, as the war-torn damages left little shelter from the elements, particularly the bitter chill of a northeast winter. But a hole blown through the attic allows for the occasional trip to the roof. This roof provides an ideal view of the desolate neighborhood surrounding the area, the perfect lookout. It's one of the main reasons the group chose this house out of the dozens that sit smoldering in their own ash across the abandoned landscape. Jim and Georgia sit atop the shingles, enjoying the cool morning air as the sun rises. Jim scans the horizon with binoculars as Georgia scrawls numbers and letters on a withered legal pad. This is basic cryptography. Basic, huh? Jim leans over Georgia's shoulder and glances at the coded paper Ben had found in the soldier's coat pocket. Looks pretty complicated to me. It's a basic alphanumeric pattern. Easy to crack? Surprisingly simple. I'm a little disappointed, actually. Well, those new Americans are surprisingly simple folk. Each number represents a letter in the alphabet. Once you figure out how they correspond, it's a simple translation. You know, I was always pretty jealous when Mom and Dad sent you off to that tech camp. You hate that stuff. It wasn't about the camp. They just took an interest in you. All I had was football. You had this valuable skill you got to sharpen and I was just out there tackling people. You were always the future of the family. You say that like it's a good thing. Knowing what you know now, you'd still have wanted mom and dad to take more of an interest in you? I don't know. That doesn't matter anymore. Now I'm glad you were into that nerdy stuff. Think about where we'd be if you never learned cryptology. Think about where we'd be if you never learned to tackle someone. Jim laughs and cracks a smile. Here we go. Just need to swap these numbers out with their corresponding letters and... D-O-O-M. Georgia's writing slows and her eyes grow wide. The pencil falls from her hand and clatters down the roof shingles as she looks up in dread. What? What does it say? Back in the basement, Ben pins the small tourism map up on the wall as Thomas looks over his shoulder. The soldier has drawn a small circle near the bottom of the map and labeled it Camp. So what, about 10 miles south of us? They're close. This far north is supposed to be neutral. It's supposed to be safe. None of those terms mean anything anymore. We're not dealing in diplomacy here. It's only a matter of time before we see more new Americans up here. And if they decide to come looking for their scouts, we should move further north, as soon as we can. No, I'm tired of the cold. We don't have a lot of options here. Ben turns to face Thomas, who now sees a glint of adventure in his eyes. No, you're not thinking what I think you're thinking, are you? Well, I've never been down south. I'd like to see it. Whoa, Ben, you're not talking about a vacation here. You're talking about willingly trekking through the largest war zone in the world. 
Ulysses S. Grant didn't just hitchhike across the Mason-Dixon line. Well, this isn't the old Civil War. We're not talking about a North-South divide. We're bound to find pockets of allies on the way. We're bound to find pockets of new Americans, too. We can't stay here and wait for them to come to us. If they know or suspect that we're here, they sure as hell won't expect us to head toward them. It's suicide. Look around you. You call this living? There is a moment of tension between the two as Thomas glances around the musty basement. Ben has a point. Before Thomas can respond, the basement door slams open and Jim and Georgia charge through. You're gonna wanna see this. Outside, the winds begin to howl as the day nears its end. Cold creeps into the basement and the group huddles on the floor, draped in blankets. Candlelight dances around the room, illuminating the decoded message. In the corner, still tied to the chair, the captive soldier sleeps. What does it mean? Doomsday 0704. It could be a code word. 0704. That could be a date. Uh, Thomas might be right. July 4th, Independence Day. So, what? July 4th is the end of the world? It would make sense. It's a symbolic date or whatever. For us, though, I guess, not for them. Fourth of July kind of celebrates everything they're against. I think that's the point. What better time to crush your enemy than on the holiday that most symbolizes their ideals? So what are we talking here? Nukes? Not likely. The nuclear launch codes were destroyed by the old government during the uprising, along with the locations of the missiles. Right. But there's bound to be some nutjob military higher-ups who could have stolen all of that intelligence during the coup. There is an awkward pause as Ben looks to Jim and Georgia. Jim stays silent and Georgia diverts her eyes to the floor. Thomas realizes his mistake. Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud. I feel like it doesn't make sense. The war zones here are so scattered, it'd be impossible for them to target our forces with the nuke and not wipe out thousands of new Americans in the process. And again, they are a bunch of sociopaths, so it wouldn't surprise me if they blew us all to hell just to prove a point. Ben shrugs a blanket off his shoulder and stands anxiously. Well, whatever they're planning, we need to warn someone. Who? I say we head south. Try and meet up with a stronger allied unit. Find a group that's better poised to do something with this information. We don't even know what this information is. So we'll find out. And how do you expect us to do that? Ben turns his attention back to the map he had pinned on the wall. We go to the source. I'm sure the answer's just 10 miles south. Let me get this straight. You want to hike 10 miles, infiltrate a new American camp, find a way to secure confidential information, escape in one piece with said information in hand, also we can embark on a thousand mile journey in search of an allied unit that may or may not exist and may or may not be in the position to help our cause. It's better than sitting around in a basement waiting to die. You're insane, Ben. I'm not going to hide anymore. Years of hiding out and eating canned food, and what do we have to show for it? Our lives? That's what I was going to say. What are our lives worth if we don't do something with them? The group considers this for a moment. They seem to understand Ben's point, but the risk still feels too extreme. All right, Ben, let's put it to a vote. All in favor of heading south on a suicide mission? Ben raises his hand. All in favor of staying here, where there is food, water, shelter, and relative 
safety. Jim and Thomas raise their hands. Georgia hesitates and makes apologetic eye contact with Ben, but ultimately raises her hand. Then it's settled. We stay here. Ben is silent for a moment. Out of frustration, he grabs the slip of paper from the floor and tears the code word to pieces. He shuffles across the basement and sulks on a cot. Well then, come on Thomas, you and I will take first patrol. The night moves quickly and daylight breaks against crooked rooftops. Jim trudges wearily through slush, rifle slung across his shoulder. Atop a roof somewhere, Thomas snores quietly, slumped against a chimney with binoculars still in hand. In the distance, a morning bird greets a new day with song. In the basement, Ben lies awake, staring wistfully at the exposed wooden beams that comprise the ceiling. Georgia yawns awake and swings her legs over the edge of her cot. I'm heading out to relieve Jim and Thomas. I'll go with you. That's all right. Best to have someone here to keep an eye on this one. Georgia motions toward the captive soldier, who sits motionless with his head hanging forward. Maybe check his pulse? He hasn't made a sound all morning. Georgia slides into a coat and climbs the creaking wooden stairs, disappearing into a soft morning light that bounces down into the dreary basement. For a moment, Ben is alone. He removes the necklace from under his pillow and observes the pendant once again. Images of his past flash through his mind like slides through a projector. The bullet that pierced his father's skull echoes through his head. The sounds of his mother's screams. Ben could still feel the scored rubber handle of the knife he plunged into that general's leg. He could still see the shine of its polished edge. He raises a hand to the patterned scar that still encompasses his neck. His heart pounds in his chest, and he makes his way to his feet. He grabs a large duffel bag from the corner of the room and hurriedly fills it with various survival supplies, matches, canned food, water bottles, blankets, Thomas's medical kit, anything he can find. His attention turns to the corner of the basement where several rusted cans of kerosene sit. Ben grabs one, pulling the rubber stop from its spout and spills the contents across his cot. The captive soldier is awake now. Smelling the kerosene, he begins to moan in panic. Ben takes a lantern from a hook on the wall. He pauses briefly in a moment of hesitation. Then, he raises the lantern high above his head and slams it down on the cot, sending flames shooting across its surface. Ben begins to climb the basement stairs. The soldier is screaming through his gag now. Ben pauses a moment and sighs. He climbs back down the stairs and cuts the soldier loose, hoisting him over his shoulder. The flames reach a support post in the wall and they begin to climb higher as Ben carries the soldier up the stairs. Ben reaches the front door and bursts out into the cool morning air. He tosses the soldier in the snow as a thin trail of smoke follows him. He turns to face the house. As the flames grow, reaching the first floor of the house, smoke begins to billow out of the doors and windows. Ben turns. In the distance, he sees Jim, Thomas, and Georgia sprinting toward the house, stumbling over ice and slush. The flames climb to the outside of the house and up the walls. In the distance, a morning bird sings.